what's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. Former President Trump shows up again at the second day of the fraud trial against him in New York. What did he say as a former Trump accountant also testifies? Hunter Biden appearing in federal court today with a not guilty plea. What are his charges and the big question about political implications for the president? FTX founder and ex-CEO Sam Bankman-Fried is going on trial on fraud charges in New York starting today. We have what you need to know about the case. Former President Bill Clinton wants to slow the influx of immigrants. The former president also says New York City should make changes to its right to shelter law. Congressman Henry Cuellar was carjacked. The lawmaker recounts the moment of shock outside his D.C. apartment. And the world's first CO2 emissions tariffs. The European Union is launching a system to impose CO2 emissions tariffs on imported goods. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, Hunter Biden pleading not guilty to gun charges in the president's home city. The big question, will these legal challenges spell trouble for his father's run for a second term? NTD's Melina Wisecup joins us live from the courthouse in Wilmington, Delaware. Melina, first, tell us more about this case and what exactly happened in that courtroom today. Hi, Chris. Good afternoon. Good to be here with you. So today, Hunter Biden is facing three felony charges, which carries a maximum fine of $750,000 along with, with 25 years in prison. Now, this for this is for accusations that Hunter Biden illegally owned a firearm and then lied about it while under the influence of drugs and addicted to drugs. So to face these charges today, Hunter Biden showed up at this Wilmington, Delaware courthouse at around 10 a.m. That whole process only only lasted about 30 minutes where his charges were read to him and he did agree to those conditions of his release. Now, his lawyers did show up with him and they're arguing that they're going to file a motion to dismiss in one sense, arguing that it's unconstitutional for drug abusers to own a firearm. Now, in addition to this, we know that this is the second appearance that Hunter Biden has made here to the same courthouse. He first made his appearance back in July, but that plea agreement did collapse after a federal judge questioned it. That plea agreement would have lowered these three felony charges down to two misdemeanors and one felony, which led some to criticize this as a sweetheart plea deal. We especially heard that rhetoric from Republicans. Now, the judge today did say that the conditions of his release are that he uh, complies with active employment. And anytime Hunter Biden wants to travel, he needs to inform authorities. He also will be subject to random drug testing, which has taken place since July. And the judge today did say that Hunter Biden has passed those random drug tests. Chris. So, Melina, let's talk about the political implications of this. We know House Republicans in Washington have focused heavily on Hunter Biden to try to paint Joe Biden in a bad light ahead of the presidential election. 
Yeah, so of course Republicans are going to be trying to use anything they can on President Biden, especially as we approach the 2024 presidential election. As far as this case, the main argument we've seen from Republicans is, like I mentioned earlier, the fact that they argue that uh, Hunter Biden has received special treatment since he is the president's son. Now, only after these mounting accusations of special treatment did the DOJ attorney general appoint David Weiss as the special counsel, which then led to this indictment prior to that. Of course, they were discussing that plea agreement that I mentioned earlier. So as far as this case goes, this will be the main argument that we'll be seeing from Republicans that uh, the sitting president is using his powers to uh, sort of pardon, you know, certain people who are close to him, such as his son. Now, Republicans haven't focused so much on the meat of this case as they have in particular, Hunter Biden's foreign business deals. Of course, we've seen that on Capitol Hill. They've been playing this up for a very long time now. Just last week, they held a their first impeachment inquiry hearing, kind of kind of diving into the president's son's foreign business deals and trying to prove whether or not President Biden has been directly involved here. So we're going to see much less focused on this case in particular, but more focus in, from Republicans in the area of Hunter Biden's business deals and trying to tie that then back to President Biden. Now, Democrats that we've heard from on Capitol Hill have repeatedly argued to us that the president's son's actions should hold no weight over how people view the sitting president, whereas President Biden, the way he's reacted to all of these uh, political uh, dramas that are going on around him is that he's uh, denied any involvement in his son's business deals. And as far as this case goes, him and Jill Biden have said that they support their son as he's recovering from his addiction and trying to build his life back. So we can definitely see how Republicans will definitely be hammering this throughout uh, the next couple of years as we approach that 2024 presidential election. And Democrats will have to try to stave off some of these arguments. I imagine that will be the case. Thank you very much, Melina. Is the House Speaker getting the boot? Representative Matt Gates moved to oust Kevin McCarthy from the position last night. The House will have a vote soon, as I spoke with political reporter for the Epic Times, for more on the chaos in the Republican-controlled House. Lawrence Wilson, Representative Matt Gates introduced a motion to vacate the chair, effectively calling for the removal of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. How did we get to this point? Well, there's a, a small group of uh, Republicans in the House who simply don't trust McCarthy and haven't trusted him from the beginning. That really began the summer with the uh, Fiscal Responsibility Act, which they say uh, went back on the deal they made earlier that was the Limit, Save, Grow Act. Then it came to a head last week uh, around this continuing resolution, which they really don't favor. These are people that want to see appropriations bills one at a time until it's done and don't keep kicking the can down the road. That's really the gist of it. And also, Gates says McCarthy cut a deal, quote unquote, with President Biden to fund Ukraine in its fight against Russia. What's this deal and why is Gates upset about it? Well, uh, Gates believes that it was a deal to take Ukraine funding out of this continuing resolution, which will fund the government for 45 days, take Ukraine funding out, but then a side deal with the president. Don't worry, Mr. President, I'll put that back in later. We'll vote on it later. McCarthy says that's nonsense. He said, look, they asked me when this deal goes through, 
will we still be able to send the existing Ukraine money to Ukraine, which is common when there's a continuing resolution. And McCarthy simply said in his words, I told them yes, but if it turns out not, we'll fix that later. So McCarthy says it's nothing. Uh, Gates is convinced it's some sort of collusion with the president. So there's all this conflict between Gates and McCarthy. Um, but how likely is it that McCarthy will actually get ousted from his position? <laughs> if, if I knew the answer to that, I would be betting on the World Series right now. It, 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 no one knows. They really only need four Republican votes in order to make this successful. And it looks like they may have at least three and some leaning. So it's very possible. On the other hand, a great many Republicans in the House support McCarthy. They think he's a good speaker. He's doing a good job getting things done. And then, of course, the Democrats are a wild card. Will they back that play or will they work with McCarthy in exchange for some concessions? We really don't know. Now, what's McCarthy's response to all this, Ben? Well, he's trying to play it off as uh, I'm focused on appropriations. We have just a short time to get all these spending bills done. That's my focus. This is just no big deal. Uh, he's, he sort of said to Gates last week, he said, bring it on. You know, if you want to go after my job, go ahead and try. What, he also throws a little shade at Matt Gates uh, because Gates has an ethics investigation underway against him in the House. And so McCarthy's trying to portray Gates as sort of having a vendetta, an axe to grind against him. Uh, so he's trying to a little bit isolate Gates in this process. All right. Political reporter for the Epic Times, Lawrence Wilson. Thank you. Another big case, this one over in New York. Former President Trump is in court for day two of the trial for fraud. The judge is deciding on a penalty after ruling last week that Trump inflated his assets to secure deals and loans. NTD's legal correspondent has the latest from the courthouse today. But first, here's Trump this morning. Judge Engoran has been given false and extremely misleading information about my net worth. Private company, nobody's supposed to know my net worth, but now everybody is and will, and I hope you're impressed. We built a great company. But he's been given false information, misleading information, and corrupt information by a very corrupt and incompetent attorney general, Letitia James. This woman is grossly incompetent. She ran on the basis, I will get Trump without knowing anything about me. So he's been given this information. It's now been proven to be false, such as Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, being worth $18 million, when in fact it's much closer to $1.5 billion. And I appreciate very much the officials of Palm Beach calling yesterday and writing and saying that she was very wrong. That's not the way you value the property. It's day two in what's expected to be a months-long trial in the financial fraud case brought by New York Attorney General Letitia James against former President Donald Trump and his two adult sons and the Trump Organization. On Tuesday, the state's first witness, Donald Bender, returned to the stand. Bender is an accountant who worked for the Trump Organization for years. He testified on Monday that Trump had a practice of reporting large losses on his tax returns every year for a decade. 
today, Bender returned to the stand and testified that the Trump Organization and its trustees were responsible for all statements of financial condition from 2011 to 2020, and that his company relied on the Trump Organization and trustees for representations of the estimated value of the assets. A number of documents dating back to 2011 were admitted over the defense's objections that they were outside of the statute of limitations. Bender is still on the witness stand as the state goes document by document to establish that Trump defendants were responsible for compiling the numbers of every statement. This goes toward the state's contention that the defendants repeatedly committed fraud in the valuation of the Trump assets. Chris, back to you. Thank you, Arlene. Bill Clinton says we need a change to the immigration system. The former president spoke in New York and addressed the city's controversial right to shelter law. Governor Huckle thinks it should be modified, and it probably should under the current circumstances. It's just because they come up here and we're supposed to shelter people who can't get work permits for six months. He added that the U.S. immigration system is built to handle only about 400,000 people. Clinton says the federal government should build more housing just over the border in Mexico and then let them enter the U.S. once they have a job here. He also said the U.S. has negative birth rate. According to him, this can only be changed by mass immigration. The struggle at the Texas border continues. Texas has reclaimed an island in the Rio Grande after decades of cartel occupation. Todd Benzman, senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies, went in with the Texas Rangers Special Operations Group. He shares his insights. Todd Benzman, thank you for joining us. You were with Texas law enforcement as they reclaimed Fronten Island from Mexican cartels. Tell us your experience. Sure. Well, um, video and photos and my whole story uh, is posted uh, in the Daily Mail. Uh, so for more, you can you can uh, catch it there. Uh, but the the um, initial phase of the operation is to go in with heavy security and secure the perimeter of this 170-acre island called Fronton Island so that behind them, uh, Texas National Guard engineers can come in with heavy earth-moving equipment. And for the next several weeks, they will be out there clearing all the vegetation off of this island. Uh, and then as they clear it, they'll be stringing fortifications all along the uh, exterior edges of the island and uh, creating a kind of um, protected uh, bunkers all the way through. And they're going to they're gonna hold that island by force of arms against the cartels, which are right across the river and commonly fire at law enforcement. Wow. It sounds almost like a warfare scenario. It's kind of like a warfare scenario. I mean, this island has been um, for decades a uh, center of cartel drug trafficking, mainly drug trafficking, uh, but also uh, weapons trafficking south into Mexico and cash smuggling from their drug proceeds also south. In, more, in the last couple of years, they have cashed in on the mass migration crisis, uh, charging it, it, immigrant families, you know, nine and $10,000 uh, 
to cross through this area. So the profits are massive. Uh, they do not want to give up this island. Uh, they, they will defend it. They have defended it in the past. But now Texas has learned that this island actually does belong to Texas. It's in Texas territory. And uh, they went in yesterday, and they're going to stay there, it looks like, for the foreseeable future. Now, after all these years, why is Texas choosing this moment to go after this island? I mean, you kind of touched on this, but maybe you can say a little more. Well, you know, the Texas officials that I interviewed for this uh, tell me that the main reason is because it's always been terrible there because n neither the Mexican law enforcement or military or the American law enforcement could go onto that island because they didn't know who it belonged to and you're not allowed to go on somebody else's country uh, without permission, but nobody knew who should give permission. So the cartels just took it and they've been using it as a safe haven uh, as a place where they could take sanctuary when the Mexicans are uh, attacking them or cracking down or when the Americans are chasing them, they can go to this island and find safe haven there. And it's been a problem for a lot of years. Uh, but in the last couple of years, it has gotten really bad. Uh, the the, um, the uh, number of incidents of shooting, of uh, co combat between uh, all the different factions. Uh, finally, the Texans just decided we've had enough. Our people on the, in the Fronton area uh, are living in extreme physical insecurity, and let's figure out who owns the island. And if, if and because border patrol's gone too, processing immigrants, they're not down there anymore like they were. So Texas is going to do the federal job of securing that island and denying it to the cartels. All right, Todd Benzman, thank you again for that fascinating insight. Sure. Coming up, late-night hosts return to TV following the end of the Hollywood writer's strike. Fans wait in line on Hollywood Boulevard, hoping to get a ticket. And Apple admitting that an iOS 17 bug may cause iPhone 15s to overheat, and an update could be the solution. Stay tuned for more on that story when we return. Welcome back. Congressman Henry Quaylar was carjacked in Washington, D.C. last night. The Texas Democrat described the incident which occurred when he was parking his car. I was just uh, coming into my place. Uh, three guys uh, came out of uh, nowhere and they pointed guns uh, at me. I do have a black belt, but I uh, recognize when you got three, uh, three guns, uh, I looked at one with a gun, another one with a gun, a third one behind me. Uh, so they said they wanted my car. I said, sure, you got to keep calm in those situations. And then they took off. They uh, recovered the car. They recovered everything. What really got me upset was they took my sushi. But anyway, that's something else. Uh, and they did recover the sushi after all. D.C. police say the incident happened around 9.30 p.m. The U.S. Capitol Police said detectives are working to track down three male suspects. The carjacking took place roughly a mile from the Capitol. An MPD crime alert is asking the public to call 911 if they see the suspects. Boston's police commissioner says he is dumbfounded that the city council voted against funding the department's Boston Regional Intelligence Center. 
The American Civil Liberties Union says the unit's gang database targets young blacks and Hispanics. Known by its acronym BRIC, the center's mission is to fight crime and prevent terrorist attacks. Democratic Mayor Michelle Wu initially opposed the funding for the division, but she voiced her support after the department removed irrelevant and outdated names from the database. Police Commissioner Michael Cox was astonished by the city council's decision. He said that the database isn't designed to pursue suspects based on race. Instead, he argues that BRIC addresses the rise of violent crime in the city. A Kansas police chief is now resigning. This comes after he led a raid on a small weekly newspaper. The publisher's elderly mother passed away a day after the raid. The mayor and the city council confirmed that police chief Gideon Cody is resigning from his post. He led the raid in early August after a local restaurant owner accused the newspaper of illegally accessing information about her. Newly obtained body camera video now shows more footage from the raid. We all on board with that? Okay. I think if anybody's going to be encrypted, it's going to be that one. So I think the rest of these were good to photograph, unplug. Legal analysts say the raid on the newspaper violated a federal privacy law or a state law. The laws shielded journalists from having to identify sources or turn over unpublished material to law enforcement. Sam Bankman-Fried, the indicted founder of cryptocurrency exchange FTX, goes to trial today. This comes nearly a year after FTX collapsed and declared bankruptcy. Here with me live is NTD business host Don Ma. Don, give us the details on this. All right, Chris. Uh, so the trial is expected to you know, last about six weeks, and jury selection begins today in New York. Uh, it's expected to take, take up most of the most of the day today. A U.S. District uh, Judge Lewis Kaplan will ask a pool of New York residents about their backgrounds and experiences and, you know, weed out any prospective uh, jurors who may be biased. And then or opening arguments will likely follow later in the week. Uh, U.S. Attorney Damian Willems uh, is overseeing the prosecution. He's actually calling this case one of the biggest frauds in the country's history. Uh, now, in order to get a conviction, prosecutors has to convince the jury beyond a reasonable doubt that Bankman-Fried uh, defrauded FTX's customers and that he knew at the time that what he was doing was wrong. Now, if, he if he's convicted and he's sentenced to the maximum punishment, that could mean life in prison for Sam Bankman-Fried. And three former members of uh, Bankman-Fried's inner circle have pleaded guilty are, and are set to testify against him at trial. Wow, this is just incredible. What's, what's Bankman-Fried's defense going to look like? Uh, right. So his lawyers are expected to argue that uh, Bankman-Fried thought FTX was actually allowed to make investments uh, with uh, customer funds, just like banks use deposits to make loans. Uh, Bankman-Fried is expected to argue that FTX's terms of service actually did not prohibit the exchange uh, from using customer funds for its own purposes as long as it allowed users to withdraw their money. He has acknowledged uh, inadequate risk management, but he denies stealing the funds. His lawyers have also said uh, pooling and reallocation of customer funds was common among cryptocurrency platforms. What are the charges here, Don? So 
Bankman Freed faces seven counts, including wire fraud and, and securities fraud. Prosecutors alleged that uh, SBF stole billions of dollars from FTX customer funds for his own personal use. And he also used those funds to uh, cover huge losses at a crypto hedge fund he also controlled. Uh, it's called Alameda Research. Uh, they also say SBF uh, defrauded investors in FTX by covering up the scheme. And also worth pointing out is that U.S. prosecutors have dropped a campaign finance charge against him uh, because of treaty obligations to the Bahamas. Uh, that's where he was arrested. The campaign finance charge claimed that uh, the former billionaire illegally donated millions of dollars to political campaigns to supposedly buy uh, partisan influence. All right. Thank you very much, Don. Thank you, Chris. Late night hosts are back on television following the end of the Hollywood writer's strike. Fans in Los Angeles waited in line Monday for tickets to Jimmy Kimmel Live. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest. Fans waited in line on Hollywood Boulevard, hoping to get a ticket to Jimmy Kimmel Live. Beverly Springer raved about the show's return. I miss them, we miss them, I'm a nurse, my patients, that's what gets them through the night when they can't sleep at night. Late show, all the different shows, we're happy, we're excited, we turn the TVs on for them and Jimmy Kimmel is one of the number one fans that we all love and talk about. More than 11,000 members of the Writers Guild of America went on strike in early May. They decided on the walkout after failing to reach a new labor agreement with the major Hollywood studios. I mean, well, one, we're super happy that we get to see Jimmy Kimmel, but also, like, you know, with the economy, it's really hard for people to, like, eat and stuff, so we're just glad that people are back working and doing what they like to do. Late-night shows stopped production in May when the writer's strike began. Springer is excited they were able to make a deal. Well, I'm happy that people are working now, you know, stressful. I was thinking about all the guys on the line. Everyone is affecting everyone and their homes and getting paid, so I'm happy that everyone's back, you know? The Actors Union walked off the job in July. Hollywood's largest union represents 160,000 members, but the return of Late Night is enough for fans like Zara Youssef. It's such a, an overwhelming feeling. I'm quite excited to be here. It's been a while, of course, and unfortunately we didn't get tickets the first time around, so we're waiting in the queue and hoping that you know we can sort of get in. But yeah, I love Jimmy Kimmel and I love Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's, who's obviously on tonight. 33-year-old Mark Nankasor is thrilled that he can enjoy Jimmy Kimmel live once again. I miss the interviews, I miss the comedy, I miss the jokes, I miss, I miss all of it, I miss all of it. The writers' union demands included better compensation and safeguards against artificial intelligence to end the strike. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A last-minute deal between Mack Trucks and the United Auto Workers Union narrowly averted a strike. The UAW announced Sunday the 11th hour tentative contract agreement just nine minutes before the contract was set to expire. The 3,900 rank-and-file union members must now ratify the deal for the contract to go into effect and put the risk of a strike to rest. This comes as the UAW continues its strikes against General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis, formerly known as Fiat Chrysler. There are now more than 25,000 UAW members on strike at the Big Three after the union expanded its targeted strike to two more assembly plants last Friday. Tens of millions of retired Americans are waiting for the Cost of Living Adjustment, or COLA. The Social Security Administration is set to announce the COLA later this month after a potential government shutdown was averted. 
The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics is scheduled to release September's Consumer Price Index data on October 12th. The SSA is likely to announce next year's COLA that day. The report will affect the payments to about 70 million Social Security retirees. Those who get supplemental security income will also be impacted. There was speculation that a government shutdown would delay the agency's COLA announcement, but the temporary spending deal kept the scheduled release on track. The Senior Citizens League estimates a 3% boost. Health insurance giant Cigna is paying more than $170 million to settle a lawsuit. It's accused of making its patients appear sicker to get more money from the federal government. Last year, federal prosecutors asserted that Cigna had violated the False Claims Act between 2016 and 2021. The lawsuit alleges that Cigna manipulated diagnosis codes for Medicare Advantage beneficiaries. According to the suit, the company was able to increase its payments from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. According to the Department of Justice, Cigna effectively made its plan members appear sicker by submitting inaccurate codes. Those plans received higher payments as a result. Apple says it's trying to fix issues causing some iPhone 15 models to overheat. It says a bug in iOS 17 could be contributing, and it plans to address that problem with an update. Apple also says some third-party apps can cause overheating because they overload the system. Among them are Instagram and Uber. The good news is the heat won't affect the long-term performance of the phones, according to Apple. The company notes the devices have internal components to protect them from heat damage. The Army Corps of Engineers is using barges to deliver fresh water to treatment plants in Louisiana. A load of half a million gallons has arrived at the Port Sulphur Water Treatment Facility. It's needed because salt water has pushed its way up the Mississippi River. That's a natural occurrence, but usually the river's water flow prevents it from coming upstream. The problem is the river's water level has been low this year. When the salt water travels too far upstream, it threatens municipal water supplies. The Army Corps of Engineers is ramping up efforts to deliver 36 million gallons of fresh water per day in case the salt water travels further. Don't panic tomorrow when your smartphone lets out a loud noise. The federal government is planning a nationwide test of the emergency alert system at 2.20 p.m. Eastern Time. The test will include wireless emergency alerts in addition to television and radio. You should also receive a text message telling you it's only a test. This is only the second time the federal government has sent the alert to mobile phones. Similar warnings you may have received, like Amber Alerts, likely originated from the state you live in. That was also the case in 2018 when a worker in Hawaii accidentally sent residents an incoming ballistic missile warning. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Up next, what defines Senator Feinstein's legacy? We take a look back on her political journey and the role she played in shaping Washington's China policy. And Facebook and Instagram are likely launching an ad-free option in Europe. Meta looks to put a price tag on that service. We'll have the details soon when we return.
Back to the news. California's longest-serving U.S. senator has died. Dianne Feinstein passed away at her home in Washington, D.C. at the age of 90. What was her influence on U.S.-China relations? NTD's Sam Wong has the report. Dianne Feinstein made headlines back in 2018 when reports surfaced that she had a Chinese spy on her staff for two decades. FBI agents showed up at Feinstein's office in D.C. and revealed her staffer was under investigation for possibly spying for China. Despite the staffer's sensitive position, the former Bay Area senator concluded he hadn't leaked anything. No charges were filed against him. Beyond that, Feinstein had pushed the Senate to approve most favored nation status for China. The status essentially grants China favorable trade terms like low tariffs and minimal trade barriers. Back in 1994, the U.S. Senate debated whether to withdraw the status from China because of Beijing's human rights abuses. By the time, Feinstein argued that punitive measures would only inflame Beijing's insecurities. Feinstein also had close personal ties with China. As mayor of San Francisco a long time ago, I had the honor of establishing a sister city relationship with Shanghai. Feinstein first visited Shanghai shortly after the U.S. and China opened diplomatic ties and established a sister city relationship with Shanghai, China's leading industrial city, and San Francisco. She also struck up a friendship with then-Chinese Communist Party head Jiang Zemin and described him as a good friend, but Jiang himself has been accused of human rights violations, mostly for launching a persecution campaign against those who practice a spiritual meditation system called Falun Gong in China. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit, Feinstein defended Beijing, calling it a mistake in 2020 to allow American citizens to sue Beijing over virus damage. And as a country growing into a respectable nation among other nations, and I deeply believe that. I've been to China a number of times. USA Today listed Feinstein as the sixth richest member of Congress. A bipartisan U.S. Senate delegation will visit China, Japan, and South Korea next week. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's office confirmed the news today, saying the trip aims to promote U.S. economic and national security interests in the region. Republican Mike Crapo will co-lead the group of six senators, his office said earlier. The senators hope to meet with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. Here's some more short headlines from Asia. The U.S. and the Philippines are holding a joint Navy exercise aimed at boosting international defense cooperation in the region. About 700 sailors and Marines from the Philippine Naval Forces are involved in the annual event. An opening ceremony was held yesterday in the country's capital. Other countries are also participating, including Japan, South Korea, Canada, France, and Australia. The war games will last until October 13th. Four earthquakes rocked western Nepal today in just one hour. The strongest was a magnitude 6.2. The quakes caused damage to homes and triggered a landslide that blocked a busy highway. One person was reportedly injured by a falling object. Tremors were even felt in New Delhi, India's capital. While people fled buildings in the north of India, there were no reports of damage. Staying with India, a government hospital in a western state saw the death of 24 patients, including 12 infants, over the course of two days. Relatives of the victims blamed the hospital for a lack of attentiveness from doctors and malfunctioning machines. Yet state officials denied those accusations, saying there were no shortages of medicine and medical staff were present. 
The incident is similar to one that occurred in August near Mumbai, where 17 patients died within a 12-hour period. A chaotic scene in the center of Thailand's capital city after a gunman opened fire inside a major shopping mall. Three people were killed and four injured. Thai police arrested a 14-year-old suspect. Footage captured people, including children, fleeing the mall, assisted by security guards. Witnesses reported hearing multiple gunshots. We see all the people run, run, run. We don't understand why it happened. And so we go after them. And after that, we hear a, sh a shot, very shots. And everyone was scared and petrified. And they moved everybody and they moved everybody into the next building you see over there. So what happened was that we, um, there was just gunshot after gunshot. I heard about five shots firing. Thailand's prime minister expressed concern regarding the incident. Meta platforms could soon start charging for ad-free versions of Facebook and Instagram in the EU. That's according to a report by the Wall Street Journal yesterday. It says the FEE could be close to $10.50 a month to get one of the products on a PC. Let's zoom in. The journal says the cost for mobile users might be even higher, with Meta factoring in commissions charged by Apple and Google app stores. It all comes after Meta was fined over $400 million earlier this year by Ireland's data privacy watchdog. The company was told it didn't have a legal basis to send users ads based on their online activity. Meta subsequently said it would ask users in the EU for permission to let firms target them with ads. Now the social network has told European regulators it will roll out the ad-free option in the coming months. A Meta spokesperson told the WSJ that it believed in free services supported by personalised ads. But the firm said it was exploring options to comply with evolving regulations. News of the possible fees was first reported by the New York Times, which gave no detail on the exact costs. And now more updates from Europe. The world's first CO2 emissions tariffs, the European Union on Sunday, launched the first ever system for CO2 emissions tariffs. That's on imported steel, aluminum, cement, fertilizers and other goods. The bloc will not begin collecting any emission charges at the border until 2026, but now importers have to report CO2 emissions from producing the goods. The future of the UK's high-speed railway project is still unclear. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak on Tuesday saying he's still considering whether to scrap or delay construction of the northern leg of the train line. The Prime Minister says he'll take his time to make the right decision on the project's future. Now heading south to Greece, Greek authorities are shutting down the country's biggest sports stadium. That's amid concerns over the stability of the steel dome. The stadium is an architectural landmark built for the 2004 Athens Olympic Games. The 70,000-seat stadium hosts major sporting events throughout the year, as well as sold-out concerts, most recently Guns N' Roses this summer. And over in Turkey, officials say they're combating militants. Turkish security forces detained nearly 90 people across the country overnight. That's over suspected links to the outlawed Kurdistan Workers' Party. This comes two days after a bomb attack in Ankara claimed by the militant group. 
Turkey then carried out airstrikes on militant targets in northern Iraq hours after the party claimed responsibility. Coming up, a German robot can collect garbage, water trees, and even mow lawns. The CityBot can also transport people during the day autonomously. And visitors can take a spin in famous film cars at a new museum near Paris. A French car collector shows off his Batmobiles and Fast and Furious racers. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Former President Trump is in court for the second day of the New York fraud trial. The judge is determining a penalty for inflating property values. Trump said the information to find him liable was false. Hunter Biden pleaded not guilty to gun charges in the president's home city. The charges could have political implications for President Biden. Sam Bankman-Fried, the indicted founder of cryptocurrency exchange FTX, goes to trial today. Prosecutors are calling this case one of the biggest frauds in the country's history. Former U.S. President Bill Clinton speaking out about the immigration crisis. He says immigrants should stay in Mexico before finding a job in the U.S. He also advocated for changes to New York City's right-to-shelter law. The European Union is launching the first-ever system to impose CO2 emissions tariffs on imported goods. That's on imported steel, aluminum, cement, fertilizers, and other goods. Collection of emissions charges at the border is set to start in 2026. A new multifunctional robot can operate day and night to help keep cities clean and transport customers. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the specs from the, com from the German company behind the innovation. Based outside of Frankfurt, German engineering company eDog wants to put its city bot to work around the clock. The machine is powered by electricity or hydrogen. The company's goal is to operate the vehicle autonomously. Highly automated also means there are automatic booking procedures, such as emptying a paper basket where a sensor detects the paper. The bot would show up automatically and empty the paper basket, and that's also when the paper basket would pay money for its emptying. Artificial intelligence and machine learning enable the city bot to recognize different objects. The machine is also able to separate them. CityBot can perform a variety of functions, and it's a full-time job. It's operational around the clock with different modules, which can be attached to it. During the day, it would transport people and goods, and in the evenings and during the night, it would take care of municipal chores, such as lawn mowing, emptying trash cans, shoveling snow, cleaning streets, or watering trees. The company's next step is to deploy CityBots to airports. The machines can guide planes on the tarmac and handle luggage. Our plan is to begin to qualify and install the system step by step, for example at airports with regulated spaces where we are not under pressure with module systems, or in cities in limited areas such as the superblocks in Barcelona. That would allow us to collect more and more data. Multiple jobs means long hours, and the multipurpose robot has to prove it can complete a range of tasks. First, CityBots will be tested at Frankfurt's soccer stadium. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. 
Blockbuster movies like Back to the Future and The Fast and the Furious made some cars into international auto icons. Now, a French car collector is offering an up-close experience at a new car museum outside Paris. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. In a hangar south of Paris, 43 vintage cars are on display. They're part of former car dealer Franck Gallig's collection. All have either been featured in famous movies or are replicas. What we also have in the museum is this, the Chevrolet Chevelle from Drive with Ryan Gosling. To me, it's one of the masterpieces of the museum because it's the actual car that he drives in the movie. There were only two used. Galeague's movie car's central operation isn't just a museum. Visitors can pay to take a spin in more than 10 vehicles. I always wanted to do something which looks like a museum because that's the only word that I see for it. But I don't like the fact that it's all immobile, dead. I wanted it alive. That's why everybody can drive the cars, can take them outside for a ride on our private field or on the open road. One of those cars for hire is a vintage DeLorean depicted in the 1985 film Back to the Future. I found this DeLorean and converted it into the vehicle from Back to the Future. When I bought it, it was a normal DeLorean without any of the equipment we can see here, the time machine circuit and the equipment for the time traveling machine. It took me six years to find all the different parts. Galeague also owns two Batmobiles and 12 cars from the Fast and Furious franchise. The museum has three new cars coming in soon. And that's all for today's news. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Chris Beers.